Welcome to another lesson of Bill Purvis Leadership. In this lesson, Dr. Bill Purvis will share what he's learned about critics through the years and will give you insight into handling the critics in your life. If critics have ever brought discouragement or distraction into your organization, this is the lesson for you. Let's join Dr. Purvis now. All right, I want to welcome you to uh, this month's Bill Purvis Leadership uh, lesson and uh, tell you that I really believe that this is going to be one of the things that you're going to go back and refer to for a long, long time. And the reason is because it's never going to go away, the problem I'm going to address. But I've really felt that this is one of the ways to help. I had a couple of pastors that have called me in the last few weeks, and many of them have had this circumstance. And I've been facing a little bit of this at times. So I thought, well, what better way to do it than just make it clear for everybody? And uh, so I want to take a lesson today that I know will help you. Now, before I get started, though, I want to tell you that I believe that growth can begin at any age and any level, and it's been proven to me recently. Uh, We have a lot of people. I've got pastors and leaders that are in their 80s that receive this every month, and they talk about how valuable it is as they're continuing to grow. And I've heard of teenagers now that have been using it, but the other day I was blessed, and uh, and I want to just mention his name for the sake of him and his family, and then also maybe to encourage you with your kids. There's a there's a young friend of mine. He's in the fourth grade in school. His name is Tyler Dykes. Now, Tyler is one of those kids that uh, just wants to learn all the time, smart as can be, probably could figure out the Rubik's Cube. And, uh, and Tyler's just a little brain for his age. And I uh, love the guy, love his family. And uh, the other day I heard that he had picked up one of my leadership lessons and asked his father about it. His father's a successful business guy, and he said, well, I listen to that regularly. And Tyler said, can I listen to it, Dad? And he said, yeah. So he started listening every day. Now he's got all of them. And the parents now are saying, we're having to shut down the uh, volume in his room because every night he's listening to every word. He can repeat everything you're saying. And they said he waits for it. And now he's going to the mailbox every, every month getting his Bill Purvis leadership lesson. And so Tyler's going to do a great job in life. I know that. He's already ahead of the board. But uh, Tyler, if you're listening, I just want to tell you, buddy, uh, you're the record holder already, fourth grade and already becoming a leader, and man, what a future you're going to have. Here's the, here's the lesson today. Uh, how to handle your critics. How to handle your critics. Now, if you ever begin to make some progress uh, in your organization and uh, in your personal life and it starts to grow, I, I want to promise you this. Uh, Criticism is going to come. Those who've never paid the price or resent your success are going to sharpen their arrows, and they're going to aim at the one who's out front. So prepare for that. Now, one secret to the long-term success is going to be in learning how to handle your critics. And, and i got to be honest with you here. For some leaders, criticism stops them. Uh, sometimes once they get a little bit of heat, they'll pull back, slow down, and they throttle down. And they never go to the place they could have gone. They don't push the envelope anymore. Because criticism is what I call their pain threshold. They just can't cross over that. They're good in vision. They're good in administration. They're good in organization. They're good in all the other areas that a leader needs to have. But they just cannot handle the uh, criticism. It's like a friend of mine years ago that was a boxer. And and, uh, he and I were talking. And he didn't make it to the heavyweights. But he he made it pretty far up. And and I said, you know, I wish I could see you going further. He said, Bill, the problem wasn't that I couldn't dish it out. The problem was I couldn't take it. He said, when I'd get hit in the right spot, I'd go down no matter how much I trained. What he was saying is what these that I'm saying to you about some leaders have. They can give it out, but they can't take it. And, and so the criticism may be the pain threshold 
that if you're having a problem with, this lesson is going to give you insight in how to handle your critics. And my hope is it becomes a breakthrough for you. So you've got to listen carefully today because I'm going to show you how to handle your critics. Now, let me start off and tell you, I'm not talking here about being criticized uh, for, uh, for breaking the rules, you know, creating chaos for selfish reasons or living with impurity or without purpose. Uh, you know, if you're messing up that way and you get criticized, you need to accept what they're saying because it may be true. But I am talking about being criticized for doing the right thing with the right motives and making progress. And if so, then here's the points I want to give you today. Number one, if you're not being criticized at times, you're not doing anything worthwhile. Jesus said it this way, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Now, you got to understand, Jesus was perfect, and yet he had his share of critics. I mean, you know how he died? He died on a cross with people mocking him and warning him to die. And yet he was a perfect man that did no harm to anyone. And so uh, I, I believe that if you're not being criticized at times, you're probably not doing anything worthwhile or life-changing anyway. And, and if you want to avoid criticism, I'll give, you, I'll give you a secret. Here's how you can do it. Just say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing, and everybody will leave you alone. Nobody will bother you if you don't make any friction, don't make any progress, don't do anything. Uh, one reason I think people do it is people like comfort. Leaders have a tendency to make people break their comfort zones. We shatter the glass. And, and I've always said this, that people will forgive you for anything except success. When you start to move the ball, it's going to create some friction and resistance. So if you're being criticized, it may be a validation that you're doing something right. So don't look at that as something that should stop you. You might want to say, hey, I hear the cheerleading going on now. That criticism is telling me that I must be making progress. Number two, I mentioned the first was if you're not being criticized, you're probably not doing anything worthwhile. Number two would be this, nobody ever died from criticism. Now, we get this idea that criticism is the worst thing in the world. Oh, what are they saying? Oh, they're stirring some rumor in my business or the church or among my peers. Nobody that I know of ever died from criticism. You know, I know that I've seen, you know, causes of death on death certificates for, you know, and it'll say heart attack or, or, uh, or cancer or something like that. I've never seen one said criticism. Nobody dies from it, okay? So let's look at worst-case scenario. What's going to happen if you criticize? I believe that a lot of us give far too much place and too much space in our own life for criticism. So what if somebody doesn't you know, criticize you? Uh, they, they didn't create you. They didn't, uh, they didn't gift you with the gifts that you have, your natural or spiritual gifts. And, and here's some thoughts. Uh, you don't have to answer to them when you die for how you lived your life. You know, you, you belong to God. So if you belong to God, you're going to answer to him. So why would you give it that much place? So understand this, all right? If you're not being criticized at times, you're not doing anything worthwhile, and nobody ever died from criticism. Now, let me give you a third one. Some criticism is true and needs to be checked. Um, I always like to ask myself a question. Is there any truth in this? And sometimes there is. Uh, I have had some people criticize me for it and say, what do you say about that? And the only thing I could say was, well, you're right. You know? and, and they act like they want me to argue. Well, when they're right, you're just better off to just admit you're, you're right. Now, here's some things I would do when I'm criticized. Number one is consider the source. You know, I, I want to know where it's coming from. Uh, some people have a Ph.D. in criticism. You know, they just know how to do that. And so you want to consider the source. If there's somebody who's always critical, chances are real good that what they have to say is not worth hearing. The second would be consider the truth. Is there any truth to it? And I always think if there's an element of truth in it, just a kernel of truth in it, and I can fix that, then I'm willing to do that. 
you know, I, I want to I do the best for God, and I want to do the best for my life. And so I'm willing to say if i got to make those changes, that critic could become my friend without them even realizing it. And, and the third thing is consider the spirit of the person criticizing. You know, the Bible speaks clearly about that, that, that uh, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. And so if, if it's hard for them to approach you, to correct you or rebuke you, if it's very hard for them to do that, it, it might be something that you really need to consider and listen to because what they may have is validity in what they're saying. If, on the other hand, they're just popping it off and it's easy for them to do it, they probably haven't, they haven't uh, much care for you. And so understand it could be true and it needs to be checked. Now, let me tell you what criticism does, okay? Here, here's what it brings. None of us like to be criticized, okay? I don't think anybody gets up today and says, you know, I'm looking forward to somebody saying something unkind about me or to me. That would, be, that would just make my day. I mean, if that's, your, uh, uh, if that's the way you think, you probably need therapy. But, uh, but criticism in all of our life has an effect. Now, here's what criticism brings. Uh, it brings first discouragement. Most of us are trying to do a good job, and we want to add value to others. And it's a, it's a way of slowing down. You know, you're just going gung-ho with what you're excited about and your mission and your agenda. And all of a sudden, you get criticized from out of nowhere and feel you've been ambushed. And it can easily discourage you. The second thing it, it does, especially in a public area, uh, in a classroom or in an office setting, it dampens the atmosphere. The spirit of the whole organization can be affected with one unhealthy person who's continually poisoning the atmosphere. They, they, they dampen it. it it's, like, it's like throwing a skunk in the room. You know, everything's going well, and all of a sudden, all the air went out of the room, or something just, just messed up the, uh, the entire spirit of the room. And so it dampens the atmosphere. And the third thing it'll do is, and, and this often happens, it'll distract you from the important things. You'll find yourself so busy trying to put out the fires or answer your critic that you're unable to give your best time or focus on your priorities. Years ago, I heard about a, about a uh, place out in Ohio where it was dry, it was a summertime, and um, they had an old volunteer fire department, and there was a barn that caught on fire. And so the volunteer fire crew ran out there, jumped on the truck, took off down there to put, put the fire out, and then they heard that there was a fire right next to the fire station where they just left. Well, they put out this fire, and they jumped back on the truck, and they rushed toward the fire station. They got over there and put out that fire. And then they heard there was another fire started between where they had just left and, uh, and, and where they were, so they took off back to the site of the first fire, and they tried to put that one out. And then they heard there was another fire back near where they'd just come from, so they rushed back there. And all night until they were finally exhausted, they rushed up and down the same street putting out fires four and five miles apart. Finally, a little boy about 15 years of age said, uh, he said, I know what the problem is. And they thought there was an arsonist or something that, that was causing all of it. Little boy said, your muffler's dragging on the fire truck and the field's out here dry. So every time you leave to go to the next fire, you're creating one where you just left. And, and they were exhausted from putting out those fires like you will get if you're always chasing the critic and their fires. And, and so, uh, my, you know, I have all kind of little sayings about that. It's kind of like that, you know, how many babies in a restaurant make it miserable for everybody. You know, one crying baby can 
make everybody, uh, uh, you know, upset everybody's opportunity or to have a nice meal. Or when one unruly child is turned loose in your home, you know, bring a neighbor's kid in that's real unruly and, and they'll take 20 minutes and mess up your house and it'll take you all day to clean it up. Well, with your critics, they can start fires or mess up stuff or poison an atmosphere to the point that you're so exhausted that you're out of energy and you're totally distracted. And instead of doing big, important things that week, you spent the whole week trying to work on fires and keep that down. Now, those are some things that it does to us. Let me tell you what to look for when it comes to criticism. I want to help you to peel back the curtain, see a few things, and I'll show you how you handle it. Here's what to look for. There's usually these types. There's always the person who's the root of the criticism. It's often a jealous person. It's a, it's a person that doesn't want you to succeed and feels threatened by your success. And they're usually the person who in their life, if you look at their life, there's a pattern that they've never been able to uh, respect or submit to authority. They've always struggled with authority. They've always had those kind of issues. So as you begin to grow, they have problems with that. So they're what I call snipers. They will, they will make accusations or sow seeds of discord. Their DNA is to create conflict. Now, the problem is they're, they're two-faced people, and, and if you don't know to look for the root, here's where they'll get you. They'll create problems with, with people toward you, and they will stand back and pose as if they're innocent, like they didn't know anything was going on. And, uh, and so they're not the mouth. They're usually too cowardly to be the mouth, but they, but they will create the problems and stand back and watch it going on. Um, and so always stop and look for wherever the root is. Remember the fire truck illustration I used a moment ago? If they'd have stopped and looked at the root, they'd have figured out the fire was coming from their own truck. Well, a lot of you, you're, you're leading an organization, you're leading a class or leading a church or something, and there's a problem going on at all times. And you wonder why this fire won't die. Well, the reason is because you haven't gone to the root yet. The root is often close by and playing innocent. So look for the root. Now, the other per people that are involved are generally what I call the mouth. Now, here's how you can identify the mouth. They're easy. They, they kind of run around with a billboard on their forehead. Um, the mouths are not really uh, mentally uh, giants or anything like that. They're not the smartest guy. They're not the brightest bulbs in the room. Uh, but they are the most talkative. And you can rile them up pretty easy. And they're the kind of people that they'll... They, they generally run off with their mouth in gear and their brain in neutral. And so what you have to understand about those people is they are being used by the root. And the root will give them a seed. You know, did you like what the pastor said Sunday? Or what did you think about that sermon? Or what did you think about what the boss said? Or what did you think? And what they're doing is feeling you out. And they're knocking on the door saying, will you let me in? And, and the mouth, they'll just take off in any direction they're led by. And they like to be heard. And so they get a little audience by being able to have something to take to them. And so in your criticism, when you hear it, generally you'll see those two type people. The root who's hidden underground and the mouth who's out carrying on the campaign. Now, one of the best books I ever read, it, it probably was the best help for me in the early days of ministry. And I'd recommend it to any of you that are pastors. It's probably not even in print anymore. Um, but it was a great book. It was written by Marshall Shelley, and it was called Well-Intentioned Dragons. And he told about how you deal with people that are both the root and the mouth and things like that in criticism. 
Um, and one of the things he said that was interesting was he said there's always a kernel of truth in their criticism. He said there's, a, there's enough that it will fly. It's not the whole truth, he said, but it can be twisted so that it can hurt you. And he made a statement in that book that I thought was interesting. He says, half-truths are like half-bricks. They are more dangerous because they fly further. And, and it made a lot of sense to me that it's true, that most everything you're putting out is a half-truth. However, it's still doing a lot of danger because it goes further, and it's got just as much damage to it. All right, so now we know. We want to know. We've got a critic. Maybe you're thinking about somebody right now, and you say, you know, I've got somebody in my life. Man, they've caused me all kind of problems, and I can't appease them. I, I've tried my best to, to, to work with them, and it hadn't worked. But the criticism just won't go out, and you're already figuring out where the root and who the mouth and all that is, and uh, you, you know you've already been distracted. How do you handle it? Let me, give you, let me give you three ways right off the bat. One is you can ignore it. Now, the reason I say that is some people create fires to get attention. They feed on your response. Um, it's, it's what I call the, the tar baby. You know, you get stuck to them. I mean, you... You, 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 you try to respond, and all you do is create it worse, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. And before you know it, you've developed a pen pal, and, and, and you're writing them, they're writing you, and, and they like that. Uh, when, here's what I've learned. When, when people write me long, argumentative letters, I throw them in the trash. And the reason I do that and don't respond to a long one is generally because nothing will insult a person who's proud quicker than ignoring them. If you ignore a proud person, that just makes them matter. But you can't reason with them. Proverbs says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And so uh, the one way you can do it is just ignore it. And sometimes they'll die out on their own if you ignore it. Now, if it doesn't go away after you've tried to ignore it, and there have been conditions in our church for years where something would happen, and nine times out of ten, ignoring it will solve it. And I've ignored stuff, later on it moved on, never an issue. But if it continues, if it persists, if it doesn't stop, then you have to take it to some other steps. So let me give you a couple of others. The, st the second step is this, inform others of the fact. Now, you're not going to make the critic uh, get, get right. Generally, only God can do that. But... But you can make those around them aware that you know what's going on and you can give them truth. Someone said it one day like this, lies circle the globe three times while truth is still trying to tie its bootstraps. And, uh, and, and so it has a tendency to do that. Now, if necessary, here's what you can do. I've had to do this before. Provide well-documented evidence to the people that are around the situation so that they will know the truth. What it's doing is it's like saying, okay, that person is near them and all those around them are going to be affected by that fire they create unless I water the grass. Now, if I water all the grass around them, uh, what happens is, is then when they go to carry their, their fire, they, they find that the people there know the truth. So uh, there's a quick way to do that in your office, in your church, whatever. Let the people around the critic know the truth. Let them get the documentation and the evidence. And as a result of that, the critic is not able to keep underground as long and keep the fire burning as, 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 uh, as fast. And so tell them the truth and let them see that. Uh, now, as I, as I mentioned, you, you're not going to help the critic. Critics don't allow facts to get in the way of a good story. 
And so if they got a good story, the facts will just mess them up. So you're not going to help them, but you will help the others around. That's why the scripture says that if you rebuke a scoffer, that, that the simple are made wise. It doesn't say the scoffer repents. It just means the people around them, their eyes are open. So you can ignore it if it's small enough. If it continues to grow, uh, inform others of the facts. Put the facts out there. And the third may be to confront the critic. Now, in the spirit of Matthew 18, the Bible says this. If somebody's got a problem, you need to see them face to face. And if that doesn't work, then you go back with someone else. And if that doesn't work, then you bring them before the entire church. And, and you know, that's a process of discipline that the church has always been lacking. But, uh, but I think that it's necessary that we not let it stay underground to the point that it causes the cancer in the body. Now, if your body is healthy enough, you know, a good healthy body will reject a disease. And so if your body is healthy enough, it, what happens is, is when they're nurturing on the Word of God, when they're nurturing in prayer, when they're growing together in harmony and unity and they have one mind and one purpose, what happens is when, when you get those kind of cancers coming in, the body will naturally defend itself against them. But you as the leader have to also make certain that you're doing your best to make sure that you've given them the facts, that you've lived that honorable life, that the example is there and all the other things so that when you confront that you will not be accused or falsely accused. And so that, that's the, the third step. Now, uh, and, I, and I just parenthetically add, sometimes I think as, uh, as leaders, particularly Christian leaders, and that's who most of us are speaking to, Christian leaders have a tendency to think, well, if I rebuke, you know, that, that makes me look bad, unchristlike. Jesus, by the way, was the best rebuker in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus told Pharisees and Sadducees where he stood and what he felt, and he never, he, he never winced about it. Paul would do the same. Uh, American Christianity has allowed us to reach a place where we think that if we can be really passive, that that's being a real good Christian, and that's not always so. Uh, I recently, I had a, had a man that approached me uh, that was a critic, and, and I knew he'd slandered me a lot, so we walked up and he stuck his hand out in a public place where other people were watching, thinking that his two-facedness I would have to ignore and I'd have to play his game. And so in front of other po people, he stuck his hand out and said, uh, he said, hey, Bill, and I, I didn't shake his hand. I put my hands in my pocket, and I said these words to him. Now, why would I shake your hand after you've been slandering me? Now, I didn't feel bad about that. And he looked like that I threw cold water in his face. And people around him suddenly began to step up in their, in their, uh, their, their faith. And what's funny is people that stood by are now saying, you know, I should speak up when I have an issue. And so it does you good. Don't, don't be afraid of that. You know, Paul did that. Jesus did that. It's okay. Now, you don't want to go around doing that all the time. You don't want to be rude. But you also need to make certain that, what, that you don't play games. I don't believe you'll ever be the leader you should be if you're going to play the games. Uh, and then the, the last thing I tell you to do, after you've tried to do these ways, maybe ignored it, uh, informed others of the fact, confronted even the critic, then the last thing I tell you to do to handle your critic is this, stay focused on the calling of your life. Uh, if, if, you, if you lose focus, you could learn to be the best handler of critics in the world, but you would never accomplish anything because you spent your whole life learning to play defense. And so just because you, you learned the pattern, it's how to do it, doesn't mean now you've got to say, hey, from now on, I've got me a list of critics, and I'm going after them. I would encourage you as a leader, stay focused on the calling of your own life. I read where Moses Malone had made these statements, and here's some from some folks. Moses Malone said, I didn't pay attention to the things that others were saying because I personally knew the truth, and I focused on my goals. 
Now, what he was doing was doing personally what he had to do. And that's what you as a leader have to do. If it's a personal attack, you can, you can stay focused. Now, when it attacks the entire church, obviously you're going to have to step it up and defend the church and find the right process. But personally, you can handle it. Joe Paterno said the same thing personally. He said uh, he was the coach at Penn State. Joe says, personally, I could care less about a critic's comments. He said, they're not on the field. That is, they're, they're, they've never played the game with me, so their comments won't, won't affect me. I like what Dale Carnegie said. Dale Carnegie said this, any fool can criticize, complain, and condemn. In fact, that's what fools do. And so he's right. Any fool can do those things. Years ago, I read this, and it was probably the thing that would help me, and I saved it for last for you because as a leader, I want you to grow through your criticism, but I want you to understand how valuable you are with the mission that you've got and focus on it. Theodore Roosevelt wrote this, uh, wrote this statement about the critic, and it's entitled, The Man in the Arena. And listen carefully so that it keeps you encouraged in what you do and doesn't give you too much time worrying about what they say. Here's what, here's what he said in The Man in the Arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where, where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who never knew either victory or defeat. What he was saying is, is keep your eyes on the prize. Learn to handle your critics early on in life, and it'll help to clear the path for success. And you'll move along like a freeway in life toward those goals. I'm glad you listened today, and my prayer is that God will bless your life. And I want to pray for you before we close. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every one of those listening today to our leadership lesson, I pray you'll give them grace and wisdom and guidance. Use their life for the highest purposes and bless their efforts. Cause them to uh, make great strides in the things that they touch and to bring glory to your name and victory in their life and the lives of those that follow them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that this lesson has been a blessing to you. If you take these principles and apply them to your life, you will be able to focus on your goals and dismiss criticism from your life. If you would like to know how to avoid bringing the wrong people around you or your organization, the lesson Reading People Quickly will help you avoid this costly mistake and discover the keys to reading people quickly. Receive this lesson, a $15 value for only $9.95 when you call now.